Hey, my name is Dustin and this is my wife, Mandy, and we wanna say thank you for checking out today's message at Citizen Church. Yeah, so whether you're in your car or at work, wherever you might be today, it is our hope and prayer that you leave encouraged and equipped in your daily life. So here's the message. Hey, it is an honor for me to be able to speak to you guys. I'm speaking to my favorite people in the entire world. And it's so good to see all of you this morning. We are in a two-part series last week and this week, Nativity Stories. And Pastor uh, Mandy spoke on the wise men, did an amazing job last week on that. And I'm centering today on the shepherds and how we relate to that. So as we jump into this, I want to read to you the Christmas story. If you have a Bible, you can pull it out and turn to Luke chapter 2. But this story, I want to read it to you. It's It's rather lengthy. But there's something about going into the week of Christmas reading the story that just brings warmth into all of our hearts. Because we don't read the story very often. It feels like it's just isolated towards the Christmas season. So let me read this, sit back, and just take it in and remember the story. Starting with verse 8. And in the same area, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to them, And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were very afraid. But the angel said to them, listen, do not fear, for I bring you good news of great joy, which will be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly... There was with the angel a company of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let us now go to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known known to us. So they came hurrying and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they made widely known the word which had, was told to them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at what the shepherds told them. In this story, the reader will immediately detect that the main characters of this Christmas story are the shepherds. So who are the shepherds? The shepherds at that time were of a very lowly occupation. They were at the bottom of the social ladder. They were uneducated, unsophisticated. They were filthy. They were smelly. In fact, they were held at such low contempt that there was a Jewish law that forbid shepherds to be witnesses in a court of law. That's how low the shepherds were in their society. Whenever you begin to talk about shepherds, there's one shepherd that comes to mind in the Old Testament, and that is David. Young David was a shepherd boy. Some commentaries, those that have studied this, believe that David may have been sent out of his house at the age of 9, 10, 11 years old to be away from the house for days and days and nights and nights all by himself, isolated. David was the youngest of 10. He kind of got lost in the shuffle of all of the kids. 
being the youngest, out in the field, away from everyone else. Remember what happened when the prophet Samuel came to the house, Jesse the father, and he says, I want you to bring out all of your sons because today I'm going to anoint one of them as the next king of Israel. This is a big deal. So he brings out all of the sons except David, the kid, the shepherd out in the field because in Jesse's mind, he doesn't measure up, doesn't add up. A shepherd boy could never, ever be the king of Israel. And yet, many years later, when he does become king, he writes in Psalm 69, 8, and verse 8, he's reflecting years and years later. Now he's an older man, and he reflects back upon his childhood, just like all of us do. And listen to what he writes. I am a foreigner to my own family, a stranger to my own mother's children. You can read between the lines and realize there was major dysfunction in his home where he felt isolated, rejected, that he never measured up. And now all of these years later, he still carries that wound with him. And yet God took a kid. He took a shepherd boy and he turned him in to one of the greatest leaders that Israel ever had. In this story, there is the invitation that is so important. You find in verse 13 of this story that I just read to you, it says, suddenly God's angel stood among them and the, God's glory blazed around them and they were terrified. And the angel said, don't be afraid. I'm here to announce a great and joyful event that is meant for everybody. A great and joyful event had been planned by God himself in the heavens. This event was gigantic because it was the announcement and the invitation that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had come into the earth. When you think about putting together a gigantic event, there's so much that goes into it. It can be hundreds of hours, thousands of hours, but who are we going to invite? What is it going to look like? Who's going to sing? Who will speak? Who's going to do the decorating? What is the budget? There is so much that goes into a major event. One of the recent major events in the world took place this past May, May 6th, when it was the crowning of King Charles III. Kay and I, Dustin and Mandy, and some of our staff members, we were in London the day before the crowning, and we were at Buckingham Palace, and I mean, it was a beehive of activity getting ready for the following day. We were standing there on the sidewalk watching horses prancing, soldiers marching, people singing, bands playing, everything was exact, everything was precise. I mean, they had everything down. This was a gigantic event because this had not happened for 70 long years. Here's the invitation that went out. This is the actual invitation on gold leaf, and every one of these were hand-delivered to the guests that were invited to witness and to be there for the crowning of King Charles III. If you received one of these invitations hand-delivered to you, then you are part of the who's who in the world. 
that if you received this invitation, you would be among the rich, the famous, the powerful, the elite. And this is exactly what you would expect when the biggest news in the history of mankind, the coming of Christ, you would expect this very same thing, a heavenly spectacular that God puts together. And how I would envision God doing it is that sending the angels into the streets of Jerusalem in the middle of the night, these angels that were ablaze, lighting the streets with their light, and they're shouting, wake up, Israel, wake up, Israel. The one who has been prophesied has come this very night wakening people to let them know. I would envision God speaking to political leaders and kings and governors and priests and men and women of distinction. Yet, the greatest news that had ever been proclaimed, the announcement and the invitation to come and see took place in a dark and lonely field, isolated from everyone else, outside the village called Bethlehem, out in the middle of nowhere in this heavenly spectacular, angels singing and the announcement took place for just a few lonely shepherds in the field. This seems to become a theme of God. Because when Jesus began to pick his disciples, he chose lowly fishermen who had no influence in their community at all. One of them was a tax collector, Matthew, who was despised and hated by everyone in the community. And those are the guys that Jesus chose to change the world, the poor, the outcast, the marginalized, also when Jesus was here, he had many women that were following him. One of them, Mary Magdalene, that they believed that she was a prostitute before she had her encounter with Christ. If that be the truth, then God handpicked this former prostitute to be the very first one on Easter Sunday morning to see the resurrected Christ and to become the mouthpiece of proclaiming that he has risen from the grave. Historically, when you think about the great revivals that have sprung up and that had a world influence, all of them started among the poor. For you have people like St. Francis who went to the poorest of the poor in Italy or John Wesley who went to the farmers, those that are, were on the outskirts, the farmers of England, it lit up a new revival. William Booth, who went to the poor in London, which created a spark and a revival that changed the world. And of course, when you think about Jesus, he came for all. He came for the powerful, the rich, the poor, male, female, educated, uneducated, he came for all, but the reason why he came to the lowly shepherds was to make sure that no one felt unworthy to stand in the presence of God. Maybe you're sitting here today and you feel like you're on the fringes of society. 
Maybe you've come and you sit here today and you look around and when you think about yourself spiritually that I don't measure up to that person or that person or that person or that person and I'm a nobody. I, I'm sporadic in my church attendance. I never pray. I never read my Bible. I don't even know if God truly exists. And if he does exist, does he even know who I am? Again, it's the reason why he came to the shepherds, that he came that no one, no one is excluded because of our past. You know, Kay and I have been in this church and we have celebrated Christmas with you for the last 42 years. You know, we were reminiscing the other day about all of the Christmases and in all of the wonderful times, our mind rushed back to when we used to put on a production uh, and it was called The Gospel According to Scrooge. And I mean, people, thousands and thousands and thousands of people in the city would come every year and it was just part of their Christmas tradition that they would do. And we loved those moments and those times. We were talking about the other day, all of the Christmas services and the Christmas Eve services and the outreaches. And, and again, you can pick out all of these wonderful moments, but there's one moment that stands out more than any other. It goes all the way back when we were youth pastors and we had this old rattly school bus, yellow school bus that we loaded 40 teenagers on. And just a couple of days before Christmas, we were going out caroling and we had handpicked several homes that we were going to. They were all elderly, all shut-ins, not able to get out anymore, and we just wanted to bless them. This one lady's house that we pulled up to, pulled up, everyone piled out, gathered around the front porch of her house, and we all started singing. A little while, she cracked open the door and peeked out, and when she realized that we were from the church, she opened up the door and stepped out on the porch and all smiles, and she could not believe that we had come to her house. When we'd finished singing, one of the teenagers walked up, handed her a Christmas card that all of us had signed, and we had written loving and kind things on the card, but when she opened it up, there were two $100 bills that we had put inside, and they fell out into her hand, and she clutched it to her chest, and she got very, very emotional, and she said a year ago, when my husband died, I felt that God had forgotten me. But by you coming tonight, I'm reminded that he still remembers that I'm here. You know, we all climbed back on that school bus, but none of us were the same after that experience. There was something that took place that night in all of our hearts of just reaching out. You see, what Jesus wanted everyone to know by the shepherds, is that no one is forgotten. The Bible is a book of invitations. In this story that I read to you, there are three invitations that he throws out. The invitation to come and rest, the invitation to go and tell, and the invitation to go and live. Number one, the invitation to come and rest. In Luke chapter two and verse 13, suddenly there was with the angel, a company of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, 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 and goodwill 
toward men. The coming of Christ brings peace to all who come to him. In Isaiah chapter 9, there's a passage here that is foretelling the coming of Jesus. And this is what it says. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see, from the fall of man, we have become creatures of restlessness. Restlessness permeates our world like a contagious disease. In Isaiah 57 and verse 20, it says, the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. That phrase, the troubled sea, is a metaphor for everyone outside of Christ. There is no peace. Just look around and you find that we're never settled. We're never content. We're never satisfied. We're constantly chasing after something, constantly trying to find that one thing, that one pleasure, and many times it turns to disaster. This last year, a poll was taken by thousands of Americans, and they discovered that the number one goal this past year with Americans is just simply to be happy. We're desperately seeking happiness, desperately seeking that one person, that one thing, that one pleasure that's going to bring happiness into my life. But every day we rub shoulders with confused and what I call paradoxical people. What I mean by that is paradoxical people and it makes no sense that you have the rich and powerful that cannot break the grip of insecurity. Or you have the highly intelligent that have no direction in life at all. Or you can have the strong and the powerful that can never break the fear of failure. And our soul is like a troubled sea and there's restlessness always. Jesus addressed this. And I want you to listen to how he writes these words. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, speaking to you, he says, are you tired, worn out, burn out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That sounds wonderful to me. I mean, it just sounds beautiful that that's who Jesus is, that he wants to step into a world of chaos and where everything is in an uproar, and that through a relationship that he wants to bring a peace that you never, ever knew that you could experience. Have you come into this place today and you're weary, you're tired, you're discouraged, you're lonely? Maybe you're hurt, you're wounded, and you're suffering through a broken relationship 
family uh, dysfunction. The Apostle Paul knows exactly what you're talking about. Because in 2 Corinthians, he went through all of the things that he was going through in life. And when you read all of these things, it becomes depressing. Thinking about one person has to walk through all of these issues. He talks about in his life, there's no rest. He's harassed, conflicts, fears. He's cursed, perplexed. In other words, perplexed. He's thinking, how is it that I serve God? I follow God. I'm doing his work, and yet I'm still suffering through all of these things. And then he continues on saying, I'm in despair, persecuted, abandoned, struck down. I mean, you can feel the discouragement in his words. But when the discouragement came, he had enough spiritual insight to know that he needed to step back, get a broader perspective. And this is what he writes in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. Now, when you read that, that sounds like a bunch of words that has no meaning to us whatsoever. But that changed his life. And the reason why is because when he writes these words, he's writing from a graphic historical event of his day. This is what he's talking about. In Rome, when the soldiers came back from war and they had been victorious, they came back and now they would ride down Main Street and all of the residents, all of the people would line the streets. This procession was led by the king himself in a golden chariot pulled by four beautiful white horses. And the king in the chariot was draped with a purple robe. As he rode down the road, behind him were the musicians. Behind the musicians were the soldiers. And now the people were chanting and they were screaming these words, triumph, 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 because they had been victorious one more time. As they were riding down the street, people were throwing flowers in front of the chariots and the horses' hooves were crushing the flowers as the flowers laid before them. And as they were crushed, a sweet aroma began to rise and fill the air. Now, let me read Paul's words to you again. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession, and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. What Paul began to do is step back and remember that all that I go through, that I have been called, ordained, chosen to be a follower of Christ, that today I follow the commander-in-chief, the one that has never known defeat and will never know defeat, that I am a soldier of Christ and I bear his name and I wear his uniform and I serve his cause and the message of my faith permeates like a sweet smell to everyone who is around me. And what he understood was even though I go through all of these trials and problems, that I have a broader perspective 
that I march with the one who knows no defeat and who leads me into eternal life. When life is like a troubled sea, he's inviting you to come and find supernatural rest. The second invitation is to go and tell. In Luke chapter two and verse 15, and as the angel choir withdrew into heaven and the shepherds talked it over, let's go over to Bethlehem as fast as we can and see for ourselves what God has revealed to us. They left running and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Seeing was believing and they told everyone they met what the angels had said about this child. And all who heard the shepherds were impressed. They told everyone. Why did the shepherds tell everyone? Because what they had experienced and encountered so changed their lives. They could not contain it. I mean, it was like it was about to explode inside of them. They had to tell every person this news that they had come across. Jesus had been born. Kay and I have lived in the same house for 25 years. Many, many years ago, we did all the landscaping ourselves, and I wanted to do it right the first time. And so before we laid any of the rock down, I studied and I read and I found the best stuff. It was, it was landscape fabric that you lay out and, and you just lay it out really good and straight, and then you put all of the rocks on top of this landscape fabric it's a weed barrier that keeps weeds from growing up into your rocks. What I discovered is there's no such thing as a weed barrier. <laughs> we have weeds coming up through our rocks constantly. For the last 15 years, I have spent hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours in my front yard, my backyard, on the side of my house, pulling weeds. It has become the major frustration in my life. I want a beautiful yard. I don't want weeds growing up in my rocks. This became a pattern for Kay and I, and I've seen her do this hundreds of times. She's seen me do it hundreds of times, that when we drive home, I mean every single time, drive up into the driveway, get out, start walking up the sidewalk. Before we get to the door, we veer off into the rocks and start pulling a few weeds before they get very large. One day, we had called preventative pest control that we were wanting to spray for insects at our house. Well, when he showed up, I was out in the front yard with a bucket, kneeling down, and I'm pulling weeds and throwing them in the bucket. When he walks up to me, he said, Sir, do you know that we have a service of where we spray all of your rocks and you'll never have another weed again. Well, I stood up and I said, that sounds great, but it sounds too good to be true. Oh, no, sir. No, sir. He said, I'm telling you, we'll spray one time. If you have one weed that comes up, call us. We'll come out and spray it all over again with no charge. I'm telling you, once you sp we spray, you'll never pull another weed in your life. I said, when you get finished in the house, give me an estimate. When he came out, he gave me an estimate, and I did not tell him this, but when I looked at it, I thought, if this really works, I'd pay 10 times that amount. <laughs> well, I said, you're signed up. They came out, they sprayed all of the yard, front, back, sides of the yard. That was early spring. 
That was several years ago. Guys, I haven't pulled a weed since. It has changed my life. I mean, I have, my time has been redeemed. I don't even know what to do with all of my time now. It is life-changing. In fact, right after that, I'm driving down the road. We have a new neighbor that had just moved in. He's out in front of his yard pulling weeds. I could not help myself. I pulled over, rolled down the window, and I said, hey, sir, have you heard about preventative weed control? You've got to get this. It will change your life. You'll never pull another weed in your life. I, I could not contain myself. You see, there are many of you sitting right here, and I see some of you right now, that you have called them because of me. And that you're no longer pulling weeds and your life has been forever changed. Well, this is exactly what the shepherds were experiencing. Something that was so life-changing and something so exciting that they could not hold it in. But this week, I had to ask myself, am I more excited about weed control than I am about my God? You know, you think about what excites us. What burns inside of us? You know, when it comes to companies advertising, it's a big deal. People advertise on, on TV, radio, billboards, Facebook, Instagram. I mean, there's all forms of, of, of advertising. The Super Bowl is coming up not far from now, and there will be companies that will spend $7 million on a 30-second spot because they want people to know about their product. But by far... They say the best advertisement is word of mouth by far. In an advertising survey, let me read this to you. It says, when people hear recommendations from their friends and family, there is a level of trust that cannot be bought with paid ads. Research found that 92, 92% of people trusted recommendations from friends and family above all other forms of advertising when making a purchasing decision. 92%. Guys, do you realize the opportunity that we have in the next seven days? That next Sunday, Christmas Eve, five opportunities, one hour each, that when family and friends begin to hear you speak with excitement, you cannot miss this. You have got to be there. This experience will enhance your whole Christmas uh, uh, season. You've got to come. You've got to come in and hear this. It's the greatest thing ever because what we know, because it happens every year, that there will be people that will walk in those doors next Sunday, sit in a service, give their life to Christ, and they'll never be the same again. Do you realize 92% will respond to your invitation if there's excitement in you and they pick up on the excitement. The third invitation and the last is the invitation to go and live. In Luke chapter two and verse 19, but Mary kept all of these things and pondered them in her heart and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. These shepherds, they were never the same again. Not after a divine encounter. Never, ever again. You see, an encounter with Christ, listen to this, causes you to live better. Being connected to Christ raises your level of living. In John 15, 4, Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. He's not talking about 
some random occasion or this rendezvous with deity every once in a while, but where we actually have an indwelling of the spirit that resides in us on a day-to-day basis that is always there. And King David understood this when he wrote in Psalm 91.1, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Psychiatrists tell us that there are three basic needs with humankind. It's security, affection, and belonging. When you abide under the shadow, the protection, the hand of God, you find that all three of these needs are met. You see, this invitation is to go and live. It's to go and live at a higher level than you've ever lived. In John 10, 10, it says there, it says the thief comes only to steal, to kill and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. That he wants to bring benefit and blessing and enjoyment and rest into your life. You know, no one wakes up in the morning and says, you know, today I'm just going to destroy my life. Or no one wakes up and says, you know, today I'm just going to be mediocre in everything that I do. I'm just going to be average. That word average horrifies me because I never want someone saying, you know, you're just an average guy. You're an average husband, an average father, an average grandfather, an average Christian. I mean, horrified by that. This week, I read a short story about mountain climbers climbing the Alps, and they made it all the way to the very top, but a storm blew in. They got stranded, trapped, and they had to call in rescuers to save their lives. One of the rescuers who was trying to save their life became so exhausted and overcome by the cold that he died on the mountain. The place that he died, they built a small monument and they wrote the words, he died climbing. You know, when we pass from this life, those are amazing words to think about. They died climbing. In other words, they died advancing. They died moving forward. And here's the invitation. Jesus said, come to me. I'm inviting you to come. And you can live at a higher level when you're connected to me. This Christmas story, it's a story of invitations. He's inviting you to come and rest, to go and tell, and to go and live. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads. As you bow your heads, I want to pray for you today. And maybe you've walked into this building and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, your God. And today, it burns in you. You know that today, today's the day. Without any delay, I'm just going to ask, and I'm not going to call you out, I'm not going to have you stand, but I'm just going to simply have you raise your hand and I want to know who I'm praying for this morning. But if you'd like to invite him into your life at this Christmas season, what a great moment, a great day of just simply saying, Lord, come into my life. I'm going to make you Lord and God of my life today. And this prayer is just the beginning. So how many of you quickly would just raise a hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. 
this morning. I want to receive Christ. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Please put it right back up. Thank you. I'm going to wait just a moment for more hands. Thank you. Anyone else? For you that have raised a hand this morning, this is your moment. Man, this is, let, let, let this be a prayer that comes out of your mouth. Just inviting him in. You see, he's calling you. He's inviting you. That now you have to invite him in or he can never come. Lord Jesus, as all of us are praying right now, I'm asking, Lord, that, Lord, would you forgive us of all of our wrongdoings, all of our sin? Lord, today we want to just start over. I want to invite you into my life, and Lord, I want to make you Lord and God. I realize that I'll never be perfect. I realize that I'll continue to sin and mess up throughout my life. But Lord, every day I'm growing stronger and better and closer to you. Lord, I want you to be my God. I want to have eternal life with you. I want heaven as my home one day. But what a joy it is to be able to abide or to be able to dwell in the presence of God on a daily basis. Meet me here where I'm at. Lord, I receive you as my Lord, my God today. And this is only the beginning of my new walk. But thank you for coming. Thank you, Lord, for the miracle that is taking place. And in Jesus' name, amen.